1: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks and I'm Connor Oaks and Connor for uh, perhaps folks who uh, haven't uh, listened to absolutely every episode of our uh, podcast. Maybe we can take 30 seconds to explain uh, what the heck we're up to here. Uh, Of course, we're both lawyers and the show is about clash. But without the fatigue, it's about two opposite poles of American thought without the debilitating polarization that everybody hates. It's about the generation gap of baby boomer, dad, millennial son. And we try to close the gap with respect and humor and critical thinking and love. It's kind of aspirational because I think it's how we all wish we could sort through these tough life and death issues without exhausting and infuriating people. I mean, Connor, we've, for a couple of years now, we've been talking about anything and everything that that is on the national radar screen. America's heritage, the Constitution, law enforcement, systemic racism, mass incarceration, capitalism, socialism, Marxism. I mean, everything we disagree on, virtually everything. And if you heard the, you know, the wacky ideas of the the other from anybody else, there might be contempt and disrespect, but we don't have that because we're family And shouldn't everybody approach a dialogue like that? It seems until you until you have proof of malice, why not listen and engage? Uh, What do you think of it? Is is that a thirty five thousand foot view of the podcast?
2: I think it is. It's a very good encapsulation. Uh, But at the same time, naturally, despite the fact that we come at this from uh, the same perspective, that we want to hear each other out, that we value and respect each other's opinions, I think that we actually don't differ that much at all and from on all these issues when 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 i have a different opinion about uh uh, the way politics works in america in 2022 i think that you and i and most listeners listeners of the pod be they boomer dads or millennial sons uh or, or or whoever uh would probably agree on the majority of the important, what I would consider to be political topics. And it is only this the vitriolic nature of the, uh, the anti-politics agenda, where we are diverted into talking about things that nobody really cares about, that don't really affect us day to day, where we need to get our heads straight and realize, oh wait, I guess we could figure out what the marginal tax rate should be, and not have to hate each other about it. Why are we discussing well, that's the, that's the goal. this culture war topic instead yeah. of that?
1: Right, that's the so goal to I think kind of meet in the middle or, or impress the other side with the logic and fairness. Yeah, but I will say we. I think on the podcast we tend to agree more on like what are the most delicious desserts and rock. <laughs> Whereas on (laughs) red China and socialized medicine, Connor, we're just, you know, we're not going to miles apart, miles apart, miles apart. So uh, every week uh, we get into three big legal topics Uh, this week. Number one, should companies be forced to post everybody's salaries? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's a good one. Number two, (laughs) should rich folks benefit from copyright laws? Now there's a favorite topic. That's evergreen. Absolutely. And third and finally, should we decriminalize hate speech? Not hate crimes, but hate speech. So we'll get into that. That. Uh, we also have our Stranger Than Truth department. A couple of items. Uh, another win for the wedding cake bakers of the world. Such litigious people. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, but they fight back. And also, uh, will every Varsity Blues conviction be overturned? Uh, at the end of the show, as always, we play America's favorite game show. It's called Guess the Verdict. I give Connor the facts of a real life case, and he has to guess the outcome. And if he guesses right, his batting average goes up, and, and a, a huge bell is rung. All right. Uh, just to give you a little teaser, Connor, the topic of the guest the verdict story or case this uh, week is: Do you have to tell the boss whether you can hold your urine? So hmm. that's the kind of thing that would lead to a lawsuit, right? Yeah, I would hope. Before we get to the uh, Stranger Than Truth items, though, I have to call an audible here and and give you a, a bonus. Did you read Connor by any chance about the guy? Uh, that has a YouTube uh, channel, uh, and he's making thirty-five thousand dollars a month on the channel. And uh, you, you have well, want a guess as to what it is that he's doing that makes him thirty-five grand a month?
2: Oh gosh! Uh, well, given that this is a politics show, I'm going to guess that he's saying something horrible and hateful and inciting no. people to no. riot.
1: This was a big audible. We're we're away from law and politics. Nice. No, Good. this guy's name Connor is a uh, Jakey Beam B O E H M. He has more than a million online followers. Every night at 10 p.m., this 28-year-old puts on his PJs, climbs into bed, and tosses and turns to an international audience watching on TikTok Live. His monthly take from online fans, counter $35,000 a month. What? There are a bunch of people. do Dwayne Olson, he's 25, Hyde Park, New York. He also does sleep streaming. He says, literally just me sleeping. An audience of 13000 on tiktok oh yeah mr Bean, why 35 grand a month It uh, says so viewers can buy him virtual gifts that uh, trigger uh, sounds and lights in his bedroom to try to wake him up so oh. it's, you know well, this that's a little bit more but most of the most of the people paying the thirty-five they they're not putting a you know a funky alarm clock in there they're just watching the guy dear god it's like uh, the truman show remember the whole yeah. world watching truman so here's my idea connor um, I got to say, our downloads, oh, of course, they're excellent, but we're not in the $35,000 a month range, Connor. Not yet. Here's the deal. I think we have a split screen. We go video. Okay. Okay. And on the left, you know, I'll just talk. And on mm-hmm. the right, you will sleep. I'll take a nap. I mean, if this guy can make thirty-five grand a month just from him sleeping, if we've got a split screen, not only a guy sleeping, but me, you know, making a lot of common sense. Isn't that going to be better than 35 grand a month? Absolutely. You should double the money. That should be 70 grand a month.
2: Took me a second there. I got it though.
1: you we weren't a math major? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Um, all right, so that's just a thought. We'll we'll see if we can convert this show. Um, the other thing I wanted to say before we got into our crucial topics is I am so happy about your birthday gift to me i had a recent birthday connor gave me a gift of a, uh, a road trip we're going to go to a spring training in march should see the dodgers and the angels and uh thank you so much i cannot wait for that but here always thinking about the podcast connor mm-hmm. why don't we offer to take a lucky listener with us all expenses Ooh, paid all nice. they have to do is demonstrate that they brought about ten thousand downloads of too many lawyers love it what do you
2: think also, they can't be like a, a real weirdo because you know we're going to be hanging out the whole yeah, yeah, time. Right. We'll, so they got to we'll be an a, a chill we'll have an bro process. or broette. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: one th- one way you wouldn't have to worry about getting a weirdo is if one Oprah Winfrey uh, would be the winner. Now, all she has to do is mention it, you know, on her podcast or her in her O magazine. She could
2: write too many lawyers on a piece of paper and light it on fire and we'd we'll yeah. probably get a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Absolutely. I think she's gonna earn her way to Arizona. <laughs> or if that doesn't work, you know, she's got this O magazine. Oh yeah. Why not O magazine, but the O would stand for Oaks. Oh, that's name. brilliant. We'll adopt her logo, her type font, everything it's it's gonna be O magazine Oaks, not Oprah. How and much how, do you think? How does the this rights? benefit us, Connor? You yeah. ask? We would meet her at uh, your deposition when she sues you. <laughs> What do you think? I, I think the the lawsuit as publicity
2: stunt is a, a well trodden path, and uh, very few people have actually gotten bitten by the legal system uh, the way they ought to when they abuse use and abuse the lawsuit uh, avenue to get PR. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I see it on, on a daily basis at work. People using and abusing this process. So hey, why isn't it on our turn yet? Let's let's jump on this bandwagon. Right. Let's. Okay, let's do it.
1: So this sounds like a definite uh, research project. We're going to get into this. All right. A stranger than truth department. uh, Item number one, another win for wedding cake bakers who, you know, several years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, came down on the side of the Colorado wedding cake baker who did not want to bake a cake for a gay couple. So now we have Kathy Miller. She's a Christian baker from Bakersfield, California, declined to make a wedding cake for a lesbian couples ceremony a few years ago. She won in court. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, after years of litigation, she owns Tasty's Bakery. I don't think I would have picked that name, but it's okay, I guess. Um, And the lawsuit said, hey, this is uh, discrimination by businesses on the race of uh, the basis of race, ethnicity or religion. Trial court judge ruled for the baker, Connor, um, said that the the law is intended uh, to uh, protect individuals from religious discrimination. And, uh, you yeah, know, this is she said here at Tasties, we love everyone. My husband and I are Christians and we know that God created everyone. He created everyone equal. So it's not like we don't like people of certain groups. There's just there are just certain things that violate my conscience, like baking a cake for a lesbian wedding. So uh, what do you think, Connor? Uh, this is the trial court, the Supreme Court. Have they had a, their fill of uh, wedding cake uh, cases or is this one going to go all the way?
2: Yeah, this is the sort of thing that. Uh, you see in the news sprinkled about and the layperson sees constant, oh, this judge uh, put a stay uh, on you know, this law that has gone into into effect or the trial court in this uh, area has, this district has, has made, come to a decision that is different than the Supreme Court previously did. And, and everybody thinks, oh gosh, what is the law? I mean, uh, who is allowed to discriminate on the basis of what nonsense uh, against each other? I, how can this constantly be changing? Shouldn't we know what the law is. And the answer, unfortunately, is no, we don't know what the law is. And it is constantly in flux because there are uh, political action groups, uh, interest groups that are constantly shopping for the perfect plaintiff or the best plaintiff that they can find. Somebody who's going to be representative of a class of people that they feel is unrepresented, uh, is discriminated against, uh, or is the victim of our society or our laws or whatever else. They find the most sympathetic version uh, they can, a a person who's been harmed and is willing to be a plaintiff in a lawsuit. And then they fund that lawsuit. And this person gets their free lawyer who shoves their case uh, into the district that the Political action group believes is most favorable. So, so you're, you're thinking Bakersfield likes Bakers, exactly. I mean, you were talking Devin Nunez in Central Valley, California, right? This is a this is a classic uh, red island in a blue state in the Central Valley, California. And they find they go to this, this district and they say, let's find a, a favorable uh, red state judge, um, and we're going to push our you know case forward. And they always have these constantly going in the works. And liberals do the same thing. The this is not this is not a, a conservative uh, a evil uh, te- uh, you know technique. This is just how you uh, sculpt uh, what they call impact litigation, where you you grab an issue and you put it into the news and then you push your case up and hopefully it gets to uh, a, like a circuit court, like the Ninth Circuit Court would be this this version is be where this is going if it's in federal court, um, and, and it, you eventually get it perhaps in front of the Ninth Circuit or maybe even in front of the Supreme Court if they decide to take it up, and they only decide to take it up if they have a I don't know conservative supermajority in this case that will overturn a previous precedent uh put into place by uh, what would likely be have been a more moderate a more liberal uh, uh uh court panel. So this is how these things uh get changed by the Supreme Court. You know, you didn't see Oberfell v. Hodges, the um the the liberal version of this uh for gay marriage, that's the that's the gay marriage case uh where we had a a woman who was um uh, had a partner who was another woman and she they had uh, federal uh, benefits from the government i believe it was because well, the, the, the 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 wife who'd passed away um was uh was a, a veteran and so her A widow, I believe, sued the federal government and said, I should get the benefits um, for my wife who has passed the government benefits uh, because you should recognize our marriage. They chose that specific person, Mm -hmm. that specific plaintiff, to be the face of the gay marriage uh, lawsuit that eventually uh, turned into Oberfell that turned, you know, turned the, the law around. And this is a good thing. Impact litigation is a good thing. But it also results in us all scratching our heads and running around and constantly getting these things changed and overturned in individual low level districts before they can take years
1: to filter up to a higher circuit. Yeah, and then on court. your point of a minute ago, you never know how the court's going to come out, especially if the court is going to start to turn its back on the starry decisis and the, the value of precedent, as I think we're seeing. I, I mean, people weren't too shocked that uh, this court overturned Roe. I don't think pe- anybody's going to be shocked if next April, May or June, the US Supreme Court. Uh, issues its affirmative action decision and says, hey, it's history, no more affirmative action. So it's even yeah. harder nowadays, I think, to predict the outcome of these cases. I, by the way, uh, by the way, uh, you- as a, a
2: far prog- a far left progressive, I my opinions about how electoral politics have been overturned recently by our elections, and I've been proven wrong. Turns out mainstream Democrats have been doing it right all the time. They knew how to spank the, the Republicans uh, in this last election. But I'll say one thing. We progressives have been beating this drum about how stare decisis is nonsense nonsense, how judges don't follow precedent, how they're just a political organ uh, for years and people haven't really been listening. So maybe, maybe, maybe the overturning of Roe v. Wade and soon to be overturning of
1: affirmative action will sort of wake people up to the idea that Supreme Court justices are politicians. A cynic would say you progressives are focusing on stare decisis to try to pander to Latin voters. That's it. Yes, that is people who speak Latin, of course. Yes. Um. Topic number two, Connor, in the uh, stranger than truth department, topic number two is, will every Varsity Blues conviction be overturned? Now, how's this, Connor, for a very bad day at the office? You know, the Varsity Blues scandal, thousands of people all over the country caught up in this prosecution net, parents bribing colleges to let kids in, lying about whether they're elite high school athletes and coaches and administrators taking millions of bucks under the table. So the criminal cases are filed, convictions and the plea bargains are rolling in, and now Possibly a nightmare for the prosecution, the First uh, Circuit Court of Appeals at the federal level may agree with the defense that the entire legal basis for these prosecutions was a flawed theory. And the idea is that based on a 1946 Supreme Court decision, when there are two people who don't know each other. They do not necessarily enter into a conspiracy just because they are both connected to the same person with criminal intent. So Varsity Blues, there was a a ringleader, this Bill Singer guy. All the parents, by and large, didn't know each other. So they didn't conspire with each other. All they did was develop this illegal scheme with Singer. And the first court of appeals heard this signature conviction uh, one of the convictions in varsity blues and the judges seem to think that for a conspiracy to exist, you have to have a shared objective of all the co-conspirators, not just a series of crimes that look the same. So federal argument, no decision yet. Um Connor, do you think the court system has the balls to let all <laughs> the celebrities go free?
2: I I don't know about whether they've got the uh whether they got the stones or the ovaries or whatever else uh to do it in terms of public opinion because this is such a uh an exciting and, and newsworthy in people's minds and 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 a lot of people were very happy to see the was these rich you know smug uh, uh people get their comeuppance, uh, you know, we all know that the system is rigged against us and that the millionaires of the world are the ones, and especially the ultra millionaires of the world, are the ones whose parent, uh, kids all get in, uh, into elite universities on uh, thin resumes uh, and take other people's spots. And we all feel like we're left in the dust. So it really resonated with people. I think they really liked the idea that, that the justice system is at least paying Absolutely. attention to this and took somebody down. But the way that the justice system takes people down, large groups of people who commit similar crimes, especially when there is a, a, a similar nexus, like the same guy's taking bribes from multiple people, is they bring conspiracy charges and this is very inside baseball very criminal uh, law the the definition of conspiracy has nothing to do with what we think of as conspiracy there's no conspiracy theory going on a conspiracy is just a group of people with a common aim a common goal they come together uh, and they they you know work together to accomplish their crime and so the way that you get
1: uh, this, the this So the you're saying fish. if several people believe John Candy was killed by the mafia, they're not going to be tried for conspiracy.
2: Exactly, exactly. Different kind of conspiracy. And so if that is the way that prosecutors take down, for example, organized crime, they got to get the little fish with enough, you know, they got to get it to, to stick to everybody so that they can take down the, they can get the little fish to flip on the big fish so they can take down the mob boss, right? So they, they bring these conspiracy charges and they say, hey, yeah, you only did this tiny little thing that 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 you're a street drug dealer, you're a, a low level enforcer thug, you're uh, somebody who collected uh, extortion money, you're something on the low level, but you're part of a big criminal conspiracy, and you're going to go to jail for a really really long time because you're part of this big organization. So you better flip and give us the uh, you know Don Corleone's uh, whereabouts and and all the dirt on him and where all the people are sleeping with the fishes so we can go uh, fish them out. Right? That's I how like those Godfather movies. Done? Yeah, they're great. They're a lot of fun. That's Except how these three. That was uh, so yeah, everybody's got an ugly stepsister. It's fine. Uh, but <laughs> the the uh, the way that this is applied to a lot of crimes where things are you know people's crimes are related to one another and everybody's tried together. It's very efficient. And also you get to uh, sort of add, accumulate everybody's crimes and point fingers at each other about, oh, well, you helped them do this to help them do this it's very powerful to point a bigger and bigger gun at the at the defendant and say oh we're going to get you for so many years that unfortunately Uh, is a a way that prosecutors very often uh, uh, overcharge people. And so there has been pushback for a couple of decades now about, wow, are we way overusing conspiracy charges here? Now, it's very telling, of course, to see that the extremely well-funded defenses, uh, uh, criminal defenses uh, of these very rich and powerful and connected people who have the best lawyers in the world are are the ones who are actually making progress. I noticed that
1: the uh, public defender from my cousin Vinny did not make an appearance in no, any exactly. of the varsity blues cases. And so while well, we see that you know the language and the the techniques
2: of of uh you know civil rights and the the language of the people who've been sounding the alarm and saying, hey, you know, if you're if you're caught with, you know, whatever tiny specks of marijuana in your pocket uh, in a plastic baggie, and then boom, they get you, well, it's a baggie, so that's an uh, intent to distribute or sell. And you're like, what is this? And then, oh, your friend also had some. So boom, there's a conspiracy. And now we're charging you both for each other's crimes. And you're probably out here, you know, part of the the local drug scene. And now we scoop up 10 other people and suddenly are all accusing you of being uh, co-conspirators. That is the sort of thing where, where prosecutors really overstep their bounds and abuse their their power by you know, leveraging every all these criminals or alleged criminals against one another to get brutal plea bargains and people end up serving jail time uh, for things maybe they never even did because they have no defenses, no real options. And yet it's really rich people, of course, who are the ones who are pointing this out. And finally, after decades of this happening, maybe something will actually change. So maybe, maybe what happens, the way that we solve the world's problems is we start indicting uh rich people. <laughs> crimes until we dismantle the the mass incarceration of the carceral state? Is that the solution? Is that how we get out of this situation? I
1: I just don't think that's going to fly. Now, a a few minutes ago, I did ask a question. Does the court system have the balls to let the celebrities go? And I I was very impressed with your answer, but I want to make sure I know whether your answer is yes, no, or maybe.
2: I, it's a, you're 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 very good at uh, at noticing that I'm trying to escape uh, liability, uh, and and having you to bought take yourself a some decision. time. I so did, now. I did. No, I think that they uh, that they. Do have uh, the the uh, cojones to actually reverse these decisions um, because they're faced with a lot of pressure from powerful uh, interests and, and and powerful lawyers who want them to take another look at this. The real question is, do they have the, the cojones or ovaries or whatever else to apply it to everybody else to make the world a better place by making sure the prosecutors aren't abusing their power and overcharging people and using conspiracy to you know blow up the charges against low-level offenders. in a way that really makes the world a worse uh, and 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 incarcerated place uh, it, as we have it for decades now in America. I'm picking or will up. Will it
1: only be an escape hatch for the ultra rich as usual? I'm picking up that um, you feel that my use of the word balls is not only indecent but also sexist. Because I just like saying. You've avoided openers. using it and have added the, the appropriate. You know.
2: Well, I said both stones and cojones, so it's yeah. not a gender thing. I just like mixing it up, you know?
1: I, I understand. Hey, Connor, we are going to get to our major topics here, but first we're going to pause. When we come back, should companies be forced to post everybody's salaries at the office? First, though, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to too many lawyers.
2: Yeah. Now, if you're listening to us right now, you're probably a uh, a diehard listener who's already shared the pod with 10 to 15 of your closest friends and family, who they also, of course, then turned around and shared it with 10 to 15 of their closest friends and families. Uh, but like doubling the number of pennies on the piece, the uh, the yeah, the other chess chessboard, chessboard. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's how we soon also will be making thirty five thousand listeners. Well, thirty five thousand dollars, thirty five hundred dollars a week. That's all I want. That's no big deal. I think that's pretty straightforward. Just get us to thirty five hundred dollars a week. And the okay, way thirty five thousand dollars. Thirty five thousand dollars a week. Oh my god. And no, no, the no, no, way I'm that wrong. we do is
1: thirty five thousand a month. The guy okay, who thank goodness left and watching.
2: Thank it. goodness. And the way that you all do that is you go onto our podcast page and you like and subscribe uh and uh follow and whatever big red button it is on your preferred podcast platform of choice, probably Apple Podcasts, but could be any. And, and we really appreciate the support. If you want to leave us a review, if you want to leave us a comment, we love those too. We read them all.
1: We will be right
0: back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Unto many lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Oaks. And I'm Conor Oaks. So, Connor, topic number one today on the legal side, should companies be forced to post everybody's salaries? Now, I got to say, this is comes in my, you know, what is this Russia file? The biggest secret <laughs> in life is how your salary stacks up against that of you know, BERT in accounting. Nobody discloses their pay. OK, mm-hmm. But now it's becoming mandatory. Uh, the NHL a couple of decades ago, published a newspaper, published the salary of every hockey professional hockey player in America. And it had a weird effect. Everybody figured out that the guys that scored the goals that were the offensive stars, they made much more money than the guys who were absolute superstars, but they were on defense. And people started to, to try to Score goals, even though they weren't on the offense. So it just it ruined everybody's life. Basically, yeah, that's so rough. That's a big, strong piece of evidence on my side. I but but seriously, why does the government have a right to know your wages? I mean, if there is discrimination, that's supposedly the the idea. What well, we want to find out if somebody is violating the law. I mean, that's what lawsuits are for, with discovery and subpoenas. You know, and much of some of that becomes public, but much of it doesn't, or the public isn't interested. But really, I mean, inquiring minds want to know, right? But uh, you're working in an office or a factory. Is it really appropriate to force the employer to let everybody affiliated with the company know exactly what everyone makes from CEO uh, to janitor?
2: So the most recent law that is hitting the books in you know in actual fact in this case uh, in this this area of the law uh is in California when in October uh this law fos- forces com- most companies to provide salary info in job ads the same law has already been put into effect in New York where job seekers Want that information because they don't want to waste their time, and they want to know uh, what exactly it is that they're signing up for. Uh, and this, I think, is an expression of worker power. It's a it's a recognition uh, of the fact that uh, you know the, the individual worker and the little people's time and, and money and effort uh, is worthwhile as well, just in the same way that, that Walmart's time is valuable, right? But the broader question of should all and this is not yet a law but but it, it the question is out there people are talking about this this issue should salaries you know be disclosed should the ceo uh, and your manager uh, and your assistant uh, and and your lawyer uh, all ha- have to disclose exactly what their uh, salaries are well it's complicated because a lot of people's compensation is not just a dollar amount. So how are you going to disclose and what are you going to disclose? Are you going to be talking about, well, the stock options that they have and how much
1: you think those stock options Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't worse. thought about that because there can be a lot to a compensation package other than yeah. the bottom line number. But I'm guessing the bottom line number is probably what people are going to be focusing the on. The bottom line number is probably the most important number for most people.
2: And when it comes to the CEO with his compensation package, package and his health insurance uh, plans uh, and his uh, golden parachute uh, and his potential severance of other kinds uh, and you know his options and when they'll vest and how much they'll be worth when they vest and all this stuff tied to the value of the company. It's impossible to calculate, but smart people will come up with good estimates. And it doesn't really matter whether the CEO is making $20 million or $30 million. What matters is he's making a lot more than you, right? So what matters is Should we be respecting people's privacy somehow? Or are we actually all reflexively repeating and parroting a line about privacy that we've been taught is important because employers benefit when workers don't know what each other makes? It is so powerful when the boss gets to say to you oh no 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 we don't discuss you know pay around here Mm -hmm. don't talk to jim and sally about what they make you should start working for a pittance because i think i got uh, an edge on you in the interview i think i can exploit you i think i can really underpay you and that sort of opaqueness contributes to big systemic problems it enables uh, people to be discriminated against On the basis of uh, protected categories where they shouldn't be discriminated against, like gender or religion or age or whatever else. And it also just allows the employer to even on things that aren't constitutionally protected. Right. Say uh, you're 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 uh, somebody who doesn't have a high school diploma or doesn't have a college degree. Right. And you apply to this job and you get offered this amount and you start working and then you find out that everybody else working there uh, is making way more than you because you think or maybe even, you know, they have a high school degree or a college degree. And you think, Well, that's right. Well, what about the difference? What if you're doing basically the same darn job uh, and they're just making three or four times as much? That is information that you should be able to know. And Is it some fundamental right of privacy that people's salaries not be known? Or is it simply, you know, classic uh, uh, social norms that are enforced by what we're used to history that once we get over the hump of getting past the dis- initial discomfort of, well, I don't love the idea of disclosing it. If you, we recognize we can actually solve social problems by, say, elevating the situation of minorities or women or people who have you know, less impressive resumes so that they recognize, hey, since I'm putting in the same hours, I'm doing the same work, are they really worth that much more than I am? Maybe it puts more hands back, uh, more power in the hands of these workers. And As you know, I always feel like putting more power back in the hands of workers. But I think just generally transparency
1: is a good thing. Well, I I hear what you're saying, and I'm I'm sure it is a very difficult thing to enforce the law to ferret out discrimination. I just wish that we would maybe take a breath because, you know, I think it is. A private matter. I think it's a matter of between the boss and the employee. I don't think it's really anybody else's business. And I mean, my mantra is always: okay, if somebody's going to come along and tell me that I should pay some of my money for something, or if I should do something and live a certain way, okay, I get it. You know, we live in a country where this isn't some sort of libertarian Ayn Rand paradise, but you should have to really work hard to justify every time you tell somebody how to live their life to disclose personal facts or, or hand over some tax money. And I don't know how how seriously the, the authors of this bill looked into that. Um, I guess we'll see, you know, in the next few years, if we see a lot more really productive discrimination uh, actions, then uh, maybe people will say, uh, OK, I know it was an invasion of privacy, but Uh, but it was worth it. I think that's a good perspective. I I think that's the right way to think
2: about it. You're you're right about what the default setting should be. And the burden of proof should be on the person who's trying to uh, sort of change things, break the social norm or uncover information that's previously been
1: private. I can totally see that perspective. So now this next topic, number two, Connor, talk about a killer topic. Should rich people benefit from copyright laws? Another way to look at it is Will the play, the stage play Hamilton crush a church because they're in litigation with them? Um, So here's the deal. Uh, Hamilton, uh, hugely popular play. uh, And you can't take somebody else's work and just slightly change it and claim it's your own. Even if the changes are innocuous or good, uh, you can't do that. The fact that the changes done by a church to the Hamilton play in a way he disapproved of Lynn manuel Miranda, disapproved of it, makes it even worse. It's not just innocuous. Uh, it, it would be like, you know, somebody putting on the, the play rent and making the tenants look like the bad guys. I mean, you yeah, right. Hamilton can give permission, which apparently big time plays often do for schools and community uh, groups. But here, the church Changed it. They put in a bunch of Bible verses. They they uh, they basically changed the the thrust of the play. And so uh, the Hamilton folks are gonna are gonna take them to court. I mean, copyright law gives churches an exemption to let them perform copyrighted music during religious services, but not for public performances outside of services, which is what this church was doing. Yeah, this seems like a
2: slam dunk case
1: uh, for Lynn
2: and the Hamilton crew uh, of lawyers, that is, uh, to enforce this copyright. I'll say uh, if there's uh, one area of law you don't want to end up on the wrong side of in America, it's criminal law. And the second would be copyright law, because I'll tell you, Walt Disney's ghost is coming for you. They, are, they do not mess around.
1: All right, we are going to pause one final time. And uh, when we come back, uh, we are going to talk about whether we should be decriminalizing hate speech. Stick with us here on
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, our final topic, Connor, whether we should be decriminalizing hate speech. And the reason I'm uh, interested in this is there was a really uh, good column by uh, Nate Goldberg. Is um, it Nicholas Nick, Goldberg, Nick I guess, Goldberg? Yeah. yeah. I of the LA Times. Uh, he's kind of left of center where most advocates for hate speech laws reside but he's not a fan of the law and of course the issue of anti-semitism has been huge in the news lately and after kanye west and people were going down to the freeway and holding up uh anti-semitic signs in in los angeles so goldberg says it's a good thing that we as a society have made it very difficult to prosecute people who engage in hateful speech. First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. And that's our bedrock principle. He says we don't put people in prison for saying even the most offensive, bigoted or politically indefensible things. And he acknowledges free speech is not absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Unless there's really a fire uh, and so on. But for the most part, speech and expression, uh, including marching around wearing swastikas, uh, is is legal. Other people disagree with him and they say, hey, you know, we regulate lots of forms of expression, obscenity and incitement and uh, to riot and libel and false advertising. So why shouldn't we regulate hate speech? It seems like the ACLU has gone through uh, uh, an evolution here back in the 1970s. They went to court to defend the right of of Jew of, of Nazis who wanted to march through a Jewish neighborhood where a right, lot of Skokie. survivors of the Holocaust, yeah. Skokie, Illinois. And the ACLU said, look, if we don't defend free expression when it's used by abhorrent people with repugnant beliefs, it won't be there for you when you need it. I don't think the ACLU is quite uh, as on board with that um, now. It seems like when they see people that they think are really bad folks, they're they're a little more flexible at the First Amendment. But. What's your thought in terms of where this uh, fellow Goldberg is coming uh, from? Do you think he is on to something in terms I of mean, you know, making a distinction, for example, between uh, hate crimes where an assault might be motivated by racism? Uh, I don't think he's coming out against that. I think he's just saying the speech component should be not be criminalized.
2: Right. And it, it's a it's a tricky uh, distinction to make sometimes because you have situations where people's speech can impact you negatively and you've got laws on the books here in california specifically uh that that deal with that the two biggest should be the ralph act and the bain act b-a-n-e um the ralph act says that uh people uh have a right to be free of violence or threat of violence based on certain characteristics race color sex or political affiliation uh, and that can have big cash penalties you can be uh Im- imposed a 25 thousand dollar cash penalty on uh uh on someone who uh, uses a threat uh, of of violence um, and they can collect actual damages and and pot- potentially punitive damages which are a slap on the wrist amount of, uh, not necessarily small but a but a punishment um uh, not connected to any damages suffered but actually uh just to try to dissuade people from doing anything uh wrong and then the bane act uh additionally um says that uh, people are prohibited from using threats intimidation or coercion to interfere with someone's state or federal rights so uh, that is a california law that might seek to vindicate federal rights protect federal rights so maybe be constitutional rights or or anything else if you if you use if your speech uh, dissuades someone from uh, realizing the benefit of their civil rights uh, for example if you uh, coerce somebody or trick somebody or intimidate somebody uh, bully somebody into not voting uh, or something uh, because they'd be afraid of voting or showing up at a polling place or something like that. That might be prosecutable under the Bain Act. Um, so these are the sorts of things we're talking about. What laws are on the books that uh, exist and criminalize certain types of speech? Because uh, uh, Nick, uh, of course, I, uh, I'm good friends with him, so I call him <laughs> Nick, uh, this L.A. Times uh, columnist. Um, his column is is Good, but it doesn't actually have a call to action to say, "Well, we'll repeal this law or, or pass this uh, new uh, amendment or, or anything else." He's just pointing out the the reality um, that it's our society at the moment is is kind of being torn apart at the seams a little bit uh, by this concept of freedom of speech. I mean, we could see in the uh, cataclysmic uh, uh, corporate uh, situation over at Twitter.com right. um, that uh, you know you've got a, somebody who calls himself a free speech absolutist, Elon Musk, I think it's a great example. It's a great case study uh, in uh, what happens when somebody who um, likes to think of themselves as being sort of pro free speech generally in the marketplace of ideas and people should be able to speak their mind. They come face to face with the reality of, uh, Owning the public square, right? That that's what Twitter is and has become. It is a place where journalists uh, go uh, to express uh, not just mainstream, but often outside the mainstream ideas to connect uh, with one another. Um, I, I know certainly in my experience on Twitter for, for years now, uh, I have found people that I would never have found on CNN.com uh, or on you know cable TV of any kind. Uh, people uh, like climate scientists and civil rights, uh, uh, historians and researchers and activists, uh, both you know, on the right uh, and on the left. Although, of course, I seek out people who agree with me. So, of course, I interact with more, many more people who are on the left. Um, it's, a, it's a natural human reaction. But Elon Musk walks into this room and says... Uh, all speech is good. Uh, let's mm-hmm. bring back Donald Trump. Let's bring bring back Yee West. Let's bring back uh, uh Andrew Tate. Let's bring back uh, anybody uh, who has been banned by this platform, and he's immediately faced by uh, as as people um have noted. Uh, a mass exodus of employees who have dedicated sometimes their lives, certainly years of their lives, uh, to creating this public square and to moderating it. Because you can't have a, a public square uh, where people are bullied or intimidated or harassed uh, or uh, uh, even insulted out of it. The problem of targeted harassment is... In, inextricably linked with the target of uh, with the, the problem of hate speech. In my view, you have uh, the power of exposing someone's identity online if they'd rather that identity be kept secret, either because their professional life depends on it or because their literal life depends on it, depending on what they're saying um, and the power to expose somebody to unmask that person um, online is is very, very dangerous and very, very real but that could get
1: into uh, privacy issues, you know, uh, private facts being disclosed without a good good reason. Absolutely. He he made a point about uh, Goldberg's uh, attitude toward the polarized environment right now. He did mention, as I recall his column, that years, decades ago, the U.S. Supreme Court came along and said, hey, that guy A 20 year old guy who went to court on some court case and he wore a T-shirt saying F the draft. And when he spelled it out, the U.S. Supreme Court said that's okay. Mm with the sheriff shouldn't have kicked him out of the courthouse. It was okay to burn the American flag. I mean, for a long time in America, if anybody showed up with an F the draft T-shirt in court or not, or if they burned the American flag, it was it was a pretty huge thing. But this. You know this, so I think we've had this controversy for a long time, Connor. I think my problem with, with putting uh, the hate speech, uh, with criminalizing hate speech, is it's it's too tempting for people to go down this road where they essentially say, "Okay, I hear speech, I hear political speech from the speaker, and you know what? It is so horrendous, so awful. It is the equivalent of violence." And so violence is justified. So, for example, if you go to Berkeley and you somehow invite some federalist society right winger who talks about how pro-life is good and let's end affirmative action. And, uh, you know, we got to get rid of uh, every single illegal immigrant. A lot of people would not allow that on campus because they would say it's the functional equivalent of violence. It's hate speech. Uh, It's totally freaking me out. And when they actually should be using those four or five or six years in college as an opportunity to kind of open their minds to all sorts of attitudes and opinions and speech, even some hateful stuff, just so they know really where people are coming from. And then at the hopefully at the end of the four or five or six years, they can make decisions that will guide them their entire lives, informed by the fact that there are some great people and some and some awful people out there on the spectrum.
2: You know. I see that as a, a very commonly espoused position, uh, and there's a lot of validity to the idea that we should be exchanging difficult uh, uh, words that might affect you, um, and and might you know cut you deeply in terms of relating to who you are uh your background um or your most fundamental ideas right uh things like attacking your uh, your notions of right and wrong um and that's something that i i encountered a lot in my political philosophy undergrad degree and then my law degree i had professors who uh put forth very challenging ideas uh that that uh sometimes undermined my very confident sense of right and wrong, my sense of self of who I was and my standing of the, uh, in, in the world as a as an automatically good person, the protagonist of of uh, the the universe, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I think that's crucial. That's very very important uh, in in education. I think people who kind of. Stick to their STEM educations, their their maths maths, and their sciences. Uh, uh, kind of miss out on that, I think. And, and I'm uh, thinking
1: uh, that you may be referring to the time you arranged for Leo Terrell to speak to Professor Jody Armour's class. Sure,
2: absolutely. Wasn't and, and,
1: that an eye opener?
2: It was. I think it was an eye opener on both sides and they had a productive conversation. I think that Leo uh, has changed uh, a little right. bit. This uh, was Leo
1: 1.0. Yeah. Uh, very different from Leo
2: 2.0. Leo 2.0 with the red hat. Yeah, exactly. But I think that um, I think that of course is a matter of degree the, the 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 how how good productive and useful a conversation is um when it is uh between two people who are uh, stridently opposed to one another uh Depends how extreme the two sides get. I think that the problem of tolerance, which is a problem that is, you know, you, you Google the problem of tolerance, will get you a lot of uh, philosophical writings on this, going back to uh, times when uh, uh, where the, uh, people were having this discussion in the Parthenon, is, is the way I'll put it, um, mm-hmm. and 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 not in modern day, right? This is when it was shiny and new. Um, this is uh, the problem of tolerance. Is sometimes you need to in be intolerant of intolerance, because if the public conversation is so toxic that the students in the classroom can't learn because they are being uh, harassed
1: or told uh, such brutal. Uh, well, I, I hear you, but shouldn't we have a more objective source to determine the level of toxicity? Well, there's no such thing as an objective source to determine. The dean, <laughs> the dean of the, the College of Letters and Science. But isn't that exactly
2: Wormer, what happens I think is it. when the dean of co- the
1: college, or
2: whoever else decides, hey, we're not going to bring somebody like Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson or whoever else uh, onto our campus because they spew hate and lies. And that is not a a, a situation that's conducive to our students uh, joining the political conversation. If somebody who is, uh, I think, uh, a a white supremacist like Tucker Carlson is up there speaking, that does not provoke conversation. We don't need to be exposed to Tucker's white supremacy uh, more than we are on a day to day basis on his white power hour on Fox News. I, I don't need that. That doesn't that's not productive and helpful. It doesn't expand our minds to be, you know, to to invite a bigot to the stage. We know bigots exist. We could discuss bigots. It would be okay to have exists.
1: AOC speak. On Absolutely. Though, right? right. And, and not this not is Tucker the, Carlson. And this See, that's is the, the fundamental problem. That's where we're different. I think we should have both AOC and Tucker Carlson. Uh, matter of fact, I, I wish she would just go back to college and spend most of her time you know, working on a new degree. It,
2: it would be like bringing uh, uh, a an esteemed professor of mathematics to give a lecture, <laughs> and on the other side, you'd have a math denier, somebody who refuses to exist. That okay, multiplication—that's real. Division, BS. No way. Nothing. Well, absolutely. See, this
1: is your this is your personal subjective uh, political judgment about You're these people right. and their reliability and, and their good, good faith, thing. and so on. And it's a when good thing I don't get to make the, all these decisions. Yeah. Well, we're gonna let the market system. <laughs> make the decisions i guess hey connor are you ready for america's favorite game show guess the verdict i'm always ready all right so the deal is i give connor the facts of a real life case and uh he he doesn't know the outcome so he's going to guess the outcome and we'll just see if he's right are you ready to go to tulsa oklahoma connor sure okay so briefly a, as long, long as guy. i get to come whoops <laughs> <laughs> there goes our our tulsa, tulsa listenership base yeah so an employee of a company Uh, Is not happy. As a matter of fact, he's suing his employer for invasion of privacy. He'd been on the job for a while and and the company came along and said, um, hey, uh, we'd like you to take a personality test. And here's what he objected to. One of the questions was, do you sometimes have trouble holding your urine? What? And the other question was, I could, I could repeat it if you like. Is that a personality test? All right, go and on. The other question is, would you agree that everyone at some time has stolen something? So these two questions, among others, were they didn't sit well with this guy. So he sued for invasion of privacy because the company said, hey, you gotta, you gotta take these tests. So uh, what's your guesstimate here? Who do you think was the big winner in wow, right. the the yeah. company with the curious questions? Or the unhappy employee.
2: Companies sometimes ask these questions. They uh, give you their uh, their Myers Briggs or Myers Briggs ripoff personality tests
1: because they're trying to sort of. Is that the one where Donald Trump knew what an elephant looked like, and so he was happy that he <laughs> he's, he's just super
2: super genius? Exactly. Yeah. The the uh, they give you these tests, and there are lots of reasons for it, but largely they're. They ask you bizarre questions in a way that disarm you so that you give a truthful answer because you don't know why you're being asked that question. Now, the... Could you sometimes have trouble holding your urine? That's just some pseudo-scientific nonsense where somebody like Myers-Briggs came up with the idea that that means that you're a ABCF or J or INTJ or whatever combination of letters. Uh, And it's basically horoscopes for corporations. Um, uh, But it's likely mostly harmless nonsense I think that sort of pseudoscientific stuff is actually not harmless and i think it's it's actually corrosive uh the idea that we examine uh ourselves in such a pseudo-scientific way it you you can end up uh really coming to the the wrong conclusions about yourself you can be told oh well you're just not the sort of alpha outgoing leader confident person that this intj you're an ifjp uh you're a little wimp you're a little wimpy girl aren't you oh you're a little wood You'll never amount to anything. All you know, right, little 14 You're not 14-year-old. painting a picture
1: of a of a fun place. They to give you to work. these Myers
2: Briggs tests at like thirteen years old in school, right? They, it's not just in job interviews. They they tell you who you are and what you'll turn out to be. And I think it really is <laughs> corrosive. It is toxic. Now, in this well, question, let will
1: use some armor all on it. Then <laughs> this
2: this uh, this question here: Is it illegal? Is it illegal to force uh, an employee to take these sorts of questions? Right, right. No, I, it's not. Unfortunately, I would say that. It would be uh, a we'd live in a better world if employers had less power to know things about their employees and had less power to sort of probe into them uh, during uh, during their their uh, job interview process or whatever else. Now the only reason why this guy might escape with a win is because they're asking something that is a, a, a medical issue. And when you have go to get to medical issues, you get to people who have disabilities. Uh, you have uh, the, the implication of potentially ageism. If you're somebody who can't hold your urine, uh, I don't know, you might be somebody with a prostate issue, i.e. over 45 years old, right? So then boom, you've got an ageism issue. Or boom, you've got asking somebody to disclose a medical condition because they have prostate cancer. That's why they can't hold their urine afterwards. Who knows, right? That sort of thing happens all the time. So in this scenario, because they made this dumb decision of asking this question about uh, what amounts to a medical decision, uh, when they're trying to really get at some sort of bizarre pseudoscientific thing like, oh, or, you know, do you have self control, right? Or are you do you plan ahead uh, enough to to you know make sure to go pee uh, before you get on the forklift or whatever? Um, they they have you know misstepped, I think, and I think the plaintiff in this case wins. I think he gets to say, no, 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 you don't get to go into my pants, boss. Um, And in that scenario, but if an employer can make you pee in a cup, right? How different is it really? Uh, Employers have massive power over our bodily autonomy and over our personal information, way more than they need. And in my opinion, should have. But I think in this one case, uh, we might be striking back.
1: The company actually won this. No, Yeah. The court said the company has a right to ask questions that might bear some relationship to a person's fitness or employment. So, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, like the, the, the drug test. And for example, a lot of state laws say that. You may ask somebody to um, provide a sample blood or urine for drug at the outset of the employment, but you may not just randomly show up during the midst of somebody's two, four, eight, ten 10 year uh, term with you and, and insist on it. You would need probable cause. You'd have to have, you know, Sally from accounting saying, oh, you know, I saw Bert snorting cocaine in the unisex bathroom. <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, right okay now we got some probable cause let's let's have a heart-to-heart uh, talk with Bert. but uh, so the, the uh the power of the employer is not unlimited Connor. that's true all right, right well i'm sure you can do better next time um yeah. this is a minor setback uh, this and by the this way defeat will only motivate me to study it, harder and by the way uh we're dedicating this episode to our friend uh, scott schaefer we played golf with him uh, several days ago and he, he is a loyal fan of Too Many Lawyers. And so thank you, Scott. And uh, this one's for you. Gave us some great feedback. Absolutely. Uh, everybody else, we'll talk to you uh, next week on Too Many Lawyers. So long.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast.